as we begin, I want to paint a picture for you, or ask you to paint a picture for yourselves of an existence and life that would be all that we want it to be. And specifically, I want to take up the, the ideas and the commands that James opens this little section with. Imagine a world where you are able to edit out all of the unwise and harsh comments that you'd ever made. If you were able to take them back or erase them completely in the same way you can edit a social media post on Facebook but not on Twitter. Imagine a world where you could share your deepest longings and your most complicated and maybe incomplete thoughts, confident that people wouldn't shout you down. That nobody was going to use your words as a way to pull you down or as a springboard for their own ego. Imagine a world where people thought the best of each other. Where people assumed the best motives, not the worst. Where people calmly and slowly asked for clarification rather than jumping to conclusions. Imagine a world where no decisions were driven by anger, but were thought through. Where people's decisions were rooted in the pursuit of peace. Imagine for a second that everybody got rid of all the wrong things that they knew afflicted them personally, inwardly and outwardly. We know we all have different standards, don't we? We know that if we go into work or school tomorrow, we all have different standards of what's right and wrong. But imagine that every single person independently said, I'm going to stop doing the things that I know are wrong. Me. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to stop lying, cheating. I'm going to stop being selfish. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? Listen again to what James, a first century church leader, wrote to Christians. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Imagine if everybody who heard those words put them into practice. Imagine what that world, what that life would look like. It would be better, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be a good world to live in? And yet, when we look at the way that people have thought about good and better and perfect societies, we'll find that basically everybody's given up on that idea. Both on a corporate level, but also on an individual level. We see films, don't we, that talk about a a perfect society or read books. And we find 
that behind this shiny visage, visage of, or whatever, you, whatever the word is, of, of perfection, we find a people that have been forced, coerced into this perfect picture. And we find people and societies and ideas that have tried to get to this perfect ideal and they've failed. But what James imagines here, and more than imagines, calls the church to, is more than a pipe dream. It's possible. And it's good. How can we do this? We can't by ourselves. But as James opens up this section to us, he says, there is a way. Let me finish that quote down there. If you're in your Bibles, verses 19 to 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. When the Bible talks about this sort of world and this sort of life, it says that this world is possible because of something called the word. Our first point, a world that needs the word. The key to getting rid of all moral filth and evil is accepting James says, the word that has been planted in you. He's writing to to Christians. And he's using the language of agricultural language. The language of something that has been planted. Something that enables people to change. That comes from outside of them. This is not look in and be better. It says, look at what God has done there is a truth that is to be believed a truth that will grow a truth that requires he says humility to flourish and the question for us is is well James what is this implanted word you're talking about and if we're to look just a little bit back up the page to verse 18 we read this he that is, God the Father chose to give us birth through the word of truth. A word of truth that has come, that has made us into new people. The world needs an outside solution to change. And God, in his mercy, has given one. And it's not a word as in a sentence or a word as in a magic word. It's a word that is a person. And that person is Jesus. Why, why does James call him the, the word? Why do we sometimes talk about that and sing as Jesus as the word? Well, this is God's truth in human form. When Jesus comes into this world... This is God speaking 
to a fallen people in a fallen world, speaking the truth about why it's all so broken. That people have turned against God. When Jesus comes, he comes, the Bible tells us, preaching good news. It's not Jesus going, you're all a mess. Do you know it? And then walking away. But Jesus coming saying, you're all a mess because you've turned your back on God. Now turn back to him. Jesus provides a way for the mess to be broken. Jesus comes as the truth that God sees us and knows us and loves us despite our rejection of him. This truth, this word that is planted in the church, in Christians, in the heart of individuals is a truth that recognises that God is for us and God is changing us. And God has saved us. It's a word that speaks of forgiveness. It's a truth that tells us that God has provided a way for people to have life instead of death, hope instead of despair, heaven instead of hell. And James says the key to change is to focus on that. To humbly accept the word planted in you Jesus says trust in me stop trusting in yourself but trust in me the word that is implanted in God's people is the faith given to them to entrust themselves wholly to Jesus and it's a truth that speaks of our ongoing forgiveness of our ongoing value to God despite how we've messed up and continue to mess up. And it speaks of our everyday purpose in this life, in the circumstances that God has placed each one of us in. This is what the world needs if it is to pursue this change. It doesn't need a better government, although that would be good. It doesn't need a regime change. It doesn't need everybody to build themselves up and say, I will do better. This world needs Jesus. So James writes to the church and says to them, you have this implanted word. You have Jesus, so humbly accept it. And then the church will begin to look like this a people who are quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry the church will begin to look different but then james goes on to talk about and give us a warning a warning about missing the word okay so the word is Jesus, and we must humbly accept, uh, be a people who are humbly accepting this word in, in contrast to how we used to be. But don't think, James says, that humbly accepting the word is just listening. 
it seems likely that James knew, knew of a group of people amongst all those that he's writing to within the church who looked the parts but weren't really changing. There's a significant dose of realism here. The church does not always match up to what she ought to be. It's like sometimes when you buy something from the internet and you look at the pictures and you read the reviews and you think that's excellent and what a good price. And then it turns up and it barely has any resemblance to what it should have been. The church can be like that. Looking the parts and yet be unchanged. And so James gives a warning to them. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Verse 22, verse 23, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's the warning. Don't just listen. Don't be just hearers, but be doers. And he uses a phrase that he's already used in this letter. Don't be deceived. He says we can be blind to the proper reality, to what's actually true. It could be like a, a, one of those uh, film sets. And it's one of those film sets that's been built and it's, it looks great from the front. But if you were to walk through the door, you would find that there's nothing behind it. And James is speaking to people like us and says, don't be blind to the fact that you can have all the gear but no idea. That you can come to church. And you can come to the right sort of church. And you can be a person who listens to the sermons and sings the songs and be utterly unchanged. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The picture James paints is of a person looking in the mirror, taking note of their appearance. I imagine that when James is doing this, James is a guy who suffers from bedhead. Okay, And he imagines himself looking in the mirror, and I'm a person who gets bedhead, and apparently I always sleep on the same side. So when I get up in the morning, I look like Wolverine. I've got a tuft of hair that comes up like this. And James imagines the person looking in the mirror and going, wow, bedhead, wow, Wolverine looking, or, you know, or seeing the, the spots or the, you know, the bits of hair that should or shouldn't be there, and, and going, oh, I, saw, yeah, I see all these different things. And then turning around... And do nothing about it. And we need to stop here and ask the question, is this me? Is this what I'm like? When was the last time that you remember responding to God's word? And this is not just about moral obedience. When was the last time you stopped 
after God had been speaking through, through the Bible, through the preaching, through the worship, and you stopped and, and repented. When was the last time you said, I, I just need to stop and say sorry to God? When was the last time that you really worshipped, not just because we sing a song after the preaching, but when in your heart you just had to express praise to God? For his goodness. When was the last time you made a decision to change something in your life because of what God had been saying to you? Is this me? And as James sees this person looking into the mirror, he then says, there's a better way. Verse 25, whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom. God's word. Uh, it's the, the, the phrase there, the perfect law. He's taken up the, the words of the psalmist made from Psalm 19 or Psalm 119, this response that God has spoken and he has spoken perfectly into our lives and into our world. Somebody looks into God's perfect law and then does what it says and it's interesting that here James describes God's perfect law in this way do you see what it says the perfect law that gives freedom and I wonder just in in that little phrase where whether James is addressing one of the the sneaky moves that we can make in our own hearts and lives by saying oh God has said this but God doesn't want me to be free God has said I should live in a certain way. Maybe in regards to relationships. Maybe in regards to my money or my time. Maybe in regards to other people. And we go, oh, God wants to, to squish me into a box. God doesn't want me to be free. And James says, no, the proper understanding of God's word, the Bible, is that it brings freedom. It enables us to live whole lives. Are we people who look into God's word and do do what it says? Because there we'll find blessing, James says. We must humbly accept the word implanted in us. We must trust Jesus and then we must continue to respond rightly to what God has and is saying to us week by week, day by day. That means doing it. There's a brilliant example of this a few weeks back. We were here gathered on a Sunday. Ian Jones was preaching and he was preaching about Jesus meeting with his disciples and having fish on the beach. And he talked repeatedly about fish and fish and chips and fish fingers. And one couple in our church who shall remain nameless were so struck by the word of God that they decided that they needed to have fish and chips that evening. And they needed to do it on the beach. And so they set off and went to the coast that very evening to have fish and chips. I thought it was a great example of doing the word. (laughs) But I think that James wants us to do it on a deeper level. If our church is healthy, and we were to ask the question, when was the last time 
You responded to God's word. I think the healthiest church would be able to give countless examples of this is how we've responded. This is how we have worshipped. We'd be able to recognise there have been times where we have just burst out and said, thank you, Lord. That's doing the word. It's responding with great praise and adoration for a good God who has been at work in our lives. And a good God who continues to work despite our failure. Thank you, Lord. There should be countless examples of, Lord, I'm sorry. We're sorry. We've got it wrong. I think a church at its healthiest, there will be conversations taking place about how to change. How to respond. How to to get out of patterns of sin. Asking other people and saying, what do you do? How have you grown in this area? How might we build space in our lives to help us to respond to God's word? Are there things that we can put into place? Just questions to ask. Time to reflect. Maybe it's two minutes after the service. Just thinking, okay, before I get up, before I go and have that conversation, just going to stop and it might be other ways it might be using the rhythms of of life where we stop at the end of the day and just go god what have you been doing today how can i respond it might be first thing in the morning opening up the bible reading it and just thinking okay how can i how can i put that into practice today how can we put this into practice Let us heed the warning of James. Let us not be blind, but instead let us see clearly. Let us be hearers and doers of the word. And as this section comes to a close, James is now going to give us three practical ways to live out the word. Let me read verses 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word. There's that word again, deceived. This is God opening our eyes up to what true religion looks like. And it's all-encompassing. It's about us. It's about our relationship to God. It's about our relationship to, to, to other people. And he's going to bring up three things here. And three things that he's going to come back to throughout the course of this letter. So we're going to talk about these again. Here's your warning. Okay, so in a couple of weeks, it's not that you're having deja vu, it's just that James has introduced them and then he's going to come back and build further on these ideas. But what is true religion? What is worthwhile religion? Worthy religion? What is doing real good? What is it that God desires us to do? What is it in the the opening verses is the, the righteousness that God desires? Firstly this, true religion speaks carefully. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves 
and their religion is worthless. James is going to come back to this at length in chapter 3. I think two or three weeks' time we're going to look at that, this more fully and with more detail. But this is James reflecting the words of Jesus that our mouths and our words reveal our hearts. Our speech is the primary advertising space for the reality of who we truly are. It's not the only way that it's revealed, but it's the primary one. How do we speak? What do your words, both in person and online, reveal about you? Do you keep a tight rein on your tongue? Do your words reveal you to be a people pleaser? Do your words reveal you to to think well of others when speaking to them? Do your words reveal you to think well of others when you're speaking about them? Do your words reveal you to be trustworthy? Do your words mean what they say? Do your words encourage others? Do they build up or do they tear down? True religion speaks carefully. Secondly, true religion loves selflessly. The theme of widows and orphans is like Bible shorthand for, well, as our memory verse taught us, acting justly and loving mercy. Caring for those who are in need. The perfect law of God, the Bible, speaks repeatedly about the need for God's people to care for those who have lost their natural support systems. Those who are vulnerable. Those who are weak. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 14. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widow, who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. That's something written a thousand years before these words that James wrote. But it's the same theme. True religion loves selflessly. God cares about those who have suffered misfortune. God looks after those who cannot look after themselves. And so should we. The poor, the lonely, the abandoned, the refugee. We are to be those who love them. And this requires a selflessness and a sacrificial heart. It will cost us. It will inconvenience us. But this is what God says is right and good and fitting for those that have received the free gift of the implanted word that is Jesus. Thirdly, true religion lives purely. This perfect law that gives freedom speaks repeatedly of a need for the people of God to be holy. As God is holy, set apart, 
You can look up later Leviticus chapter 11 verses 44 to 45 to see God saying that to his people. But we are to have and to be set apart, to be different. Because in that way we will demonstrate to the world the goodness and the holiness of God. Not because we're better. If you're visiting our church today, or you're watching online and you're thinking about visiting at some other point, you will find people who I think are lovely. And I think generally we're pretty warm and welcoming. But every one of us would tell you it is by grace alone. We are all works in progress. And yet God is at work in his people, forming and shaping us to be like him. Growing us in love and kindness and gentleness. But James says that true religion lives purely. And therefore, there is a deliberateness required to make sure that we are being, becoming more like Jesus. That we are being changed and shaped by him and not by a world that by default says, no, thank you, God. What does it look like to avoid being polluted, as James says? Well, Jesus is a great example of what it means to obey the perfect law. So we know that it can't mean we don't spend any time with people who are not Christians. Because Jesus did. And it can't mean that we hide ourselves away. So that we interact with nothing and nobody. So that we, and we don't live in fear of being polluted. It does mean that we need to be aware of what shapes our inner lives, our hearts. What is impacting and teaching my heart? Let me ask you one specific question. Because we're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks. And so we'll think more about those questions then. But let me ask you one question now. What are we, what are you, consuming in the name of entertainment? And is it freeing you or enslaving you? The perfect law of God frees us. When it comes to entertainment, what we watch and what we read, is that freeing you or enslaving you? Is it causing you to find your rest and your joy in Jesus or is it causing you to want other things and is it causing you to question what he has said is good and right and proper and true there's a man called Augustine who was a bishop a long long time ago he said you have made us for yourself O Lord and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you And he's talking there about that initial moment of coming to trust in Jesus. But I think it's a helpful thought when it comes to our ongoing pursuit, acceptance of the implanted word 
is what we are consuming in terms of our entertainment helping us to find rest in Jesus? Or is it making us restless and dissatisfied? Is there a restlessness within us that would indicate that actually we are being far more shaped by the world than we are by Jesus and his word? As I've said, we're going to return to these themes in the coming weeks because James is going to refer to them. I think James knows that sometimes we need to be told things once, twice, three times or more. But let me finish by re-emphasizing this point. When we think about a world, a good world, a a world where people speak well, and not in some posh received English sort of way, but when they say yes, they mean yes. And when they speak of other people, they build them up and don't tear them down. And we, we think about a world that is not driven by anger. And we think about a world where people live rightly. This only happens, the Bible tells us, if we first receive Jesus. And we've got to be so careful we don't miss that. Without Jesus, this is impossible. To do it for anyone else but Jesus. A, it'll end in failure. But B, even in the small successes, it'll lead not to, not to humble living, but to proud living. So REC, this afternoon, let us be a people who hear the words and do the word. We're going to sing a a song that we often sing before the sermon. That asks in its chorus that that we would see Jesus, show us Christ. In the first verse, it talks about the word that has been planted in us that will produce good fruit. This is good fruit. People that speak like this and listen like this and who get rid of what we know we ought to get rid in the power of Jesus. So we're going to sing and I'm going to pray as Rich comes up. Father, we ask that you would help us now to sing, to respond to what you have said. And we pray as your people that as we go into this next week our prayer would continue to be show us christ and then help us to respond appropriately in worship in repentance and in changed behavior we need your help we're sorry that we have failed and we continue to fail we thank you that you are merciful and generous and we pray you would continue to be at work in us and that through us the world might see jesus We pray it in his name. Amen.